The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Somebody do the announcement. I'm so white, I don't know what to do right now. This week on Super Skull, we interview comic book legend Riley Rossmo, and Nick and I break down Pandemic Legacy. Slow it down. This week on Super Skull. <laughs> I don't think we can use that. Fuck this. Alrighty, welcome to Super Skull Vault of Midnight's new Comic Day Audio Digest. My name is Night Train Y-Bar, and I work at Vault of Midnight. Night Train. He's on the night train. I'm joined by Marcus Diamond Schwimmer. I also work at Vault of Midnight, and I don't know what these references come from. And Curtis, Mr. Roper Sullivan. That's right, I'm so roped they call me Mr. Roper, and uh, I've been listening to a lot of Beastie Boys, so these are all Beastie Boys. Oh, cool. Nicknames. I was going to call you just the N-Train, mm-hmm. like Night Train Y-Bar, but also you could just be N-Train. We you, you know call me uh, Dry Rub Y-Bar. Sure. Because of how I like my food. I'll, I'll just call you Dry Bar. Perfect. Boing. Oh, my God. You are really good at nicknames. Yeah, and then Marcus Schwimmer uh, is going to be Mark Diamond. Oh, that I like. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to sign all my legal documents that way from now on. I take back everything I ever said about your, your nickname game. Thanks, buddy. It's just, it's on point. It's Mark. on fleek, even. If you will. And Nick will. Marcus, that was a big old sigh at my at my on fleek reference. I don't, I'm too, fleek is the first kind of youth slang that I am too old to like don't. get. That can't be true. Sir. It's true. There's got to be something else. I, fleek is the first one where like I've heard people use it. I'm like, I have no idea. Get on the fleek train about. and then we'll all get off the fleek train when but it's see, like out of Curtis, style. Curtis, you live week. with someone who is young and hip. So you have like. That would be your daughter. Your daughter, Kylie. Mm-hmm. She's, she's a pretty hip lady. Mm-hmm. You have the first access to all the great youth vernacular. I am an old. This, it makes me feel old, I guess. Is the Marcus, answer. you're like 23 years old. I'm, you, I'm, I'm almost 30. Now the the kids also say now when they say when they're feeling good mm-hmm. when they're feeling good they're feeling strong yeah they say I'm chill like how you doing like I'm chill they Th- say that and they don't mean like I'm relaxing or I am in a relaxed mood mm-hmm. it means like oh look at the this hot dog is real chill as in I like this hot dog oh well I can't wrap my head around that one well, that's that's that, what that's one I'm struggling that, that word those. already has a meaning for how you're feeling. Yeah. You can't just change it. You can. Lang- English is an evolving, living, it's true. breathing it's thing. It's true. You're right. You're so true. Vault of Midnight, uh, as previously mentioned, is a new Comic Day audio digest. We got a really great show for you today, I got to say. I'm psyched about it. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, It'll we, be fleek. And next week, we. No, that's not how you. Is that how you use it? No. Is that, that it? Shut no. up. <laughs> You tried though. No, we'll get. You'll work it in. It's on fleek, is what you want to say. Oh, okay. And, um, but we'll I'm get, learning. Yeah, I'm learning. I think you should just as many times as you can just go with it today. Don't e- don't think about it. Don't censor yourself. All right. Just shit out. You asked for it. The the words. You asked for it. Uh, we have an interview scheduled next week with Mr. Benjamin Mara, creator of the One Man War on Terror. Yes, I can't wait for that. It's going to be really cool. Terror Assaulter. Terror Assaulter. One man more on terror. I love that guy. And that will air sometime either deep next week or the week after. Um, to be determined. Oh, man, I can't wait to talk to this dude. So I, I found all his little weird, not weird, but hard to get comics that he's done. Yeah. Like Gangster Rap Posse. 
which I can't Ooh. wait. It's in the mail right now. And uh, I'm super psyched to blather to Ben Mara about how cool I think he is. Interview conducted by Curtis Sullivan. Yeah. Super Skull's own. That guy loves Stardust, the super wizard. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was just me and like three other dudes that worked at the comic book store. But now there's four. Outstanding. Yeah. And this week, featured in this episode that you're currently listening to right now, we have an interview with Riley Rosmo. What? And that's going to take the place of our... We took a, we put the taser on the shelf this week. We put mm. it back in the holster for, that's right. for one week. Taser's got to recharge. Exactly. But we're going to... Um, it'll, it'll be back next week, probably. And uh, this week, you get to enjoy an interview that we did with Riley Rosmo. And that was you, Nick, who chatted with Mr. Rosimo? I, I did. Lovely. He's, uh, a, he's a lovely man. How would you grade your interview skills? My interview skills, I would go as far to say that uh, that they are on fleek. Are you Diane Reems level? No, a few people are. That's like a cadre of like two. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's like her and Terry Gross. Right. Um, I do a I, I do a really weird, stupid impression of an interviewer though that you'll that you'll all be able to enjoy shortly. Oh, I listened to that stuff. I thought you sounded quite good, Nick. Don't yeah, very intelligent. You're being modest here. Thank you. I was fishing for compliments, and I got one. Yep. Thank you, you so much. You did a good job. We're also going to do a review of Pandemic Legacy at the end of the show today. Oh, you guys played that on Sunday, didn't you? We yeah, did. we got together for a little game game day. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. We had the fun time. Yeah, but we'll talk all about that later. And before all of that, we have our classic big pick segment. I think everyone goes through a stage when they're a youth where Gambit is the coolest. I had that dude you've ever seen. I had that. And he had a trench coat. He had a bow staff. Yep. He had a deck of cards on him. Yeah. Was Gambit around? What's his playing card budget? Oh, Gambit? it's got to be a mess. He's just tossing them away. Yeah. All I, w- day. I wonder. Yeah. What's his? Is he? Is a? Is he sponsored by? Bicycle. <laughs> my bicycle. <laughs> I'm going to show some of my comic book novice noviceness here. Mm-hmm. What, Gambit was around before the 90s television show, yes? Oh, yeah. They didn't create him for that TV show? Mm-mm. No. I okay. don't know, but he was, he's, he's a newer he's character. New-ish. You know, he's, he's you late know, 80s, early yeah. 90s, you know. But as soon as created. they created Gambit, they were like, we fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as they created Gambit, I was like, fuck, maybe it's time for me to grow up and get a job and sell my comics. Maybe it's time to quit this thing that I love. <laughs> I've, what a fool I've been. Fucking nailed it. Gambit aside, we all read some other comics this week. Yep. Some of them we really, really liked. I think we should all take turns talking about a few of them. In a little segment I like to call the Big Picks. <laughs> yeah. I just coined that. All right, I say we go with it. Big pick sounds great. Curtis, what was your big pick this week? My big pick was Prophet Earth War, issue number one. I love this book. I love the names on this book, and bear with me. Here we go. So this is Brandon Graham and Simon Roy. They've been working on it forever. And then this guy, Giannis Milano, Milano Giannis. And I hope I didn't ma- masterfully butcher that guy's name. It was really awesome. Artist. So I love you, man. Giannis, you're a great artist. Can I ask you dudes a question? Mm. Yes. What the fuck is going on in this comic book? So in a nutshell, so Prophet is about all these guys who are part of the Earth Empire and they're super soldiers and they are buried all over the universe in these like kind of containment units. Yes. And then the Earth <laughs> Empire has fallen. All these mother brains, these giant heads that like link all the prophets and the Earth Empire together across the vast spanse of the universe. I'm like... I'm bouncing up and down. Yeah, Nick yeah. is so excited I love it. right now. It's the best, right? So the Earth Empire has fallen, uh, and all these prophets are left in their various and buried... By, and by prophet, you mean dudes that are named 
John, John Prophet. They're all clones, mm-hmm. and they're like super soldiers, and they're going to rebuild the Earth Empire when the signal comes out of the mother brain and they reactivates their pods and they, they drill up out of the ground and they, they go about their work of rebuilding the Earth Empire. I can't stress this enough. you got to read Prophet from Brandon Graham. It's weird as hell. The it f- is the best. The first shit. couple volumes are just comprised of a John Prophet somewhere in the universe mm-hmm. wakes up mm-hmm. because the signal was given yep. and he's on some random planet. And you don't know what that planet is. And you don't know what the rules are of this planet or what his job is, but he has to go somewhere and do something. And every issue is a new John Prophet on a new planet doing that. And in- they encounter all the weird flora and fauna of this crazy alien planet and weird-ass technology, and eventually a narrative, like a big overarching narrative starts to reveal itself, but it's so goddamn cool. So Very true. In the, in the beginning, I mean, it almost starts off like a, a fantasy book mm-hmm. set in space. I mean, this guy's like camping and uses this weird apparatus to like adapt his physiology to like eat food and process whatever atmosphere that he's in. It is so cool. It's like a camping fantasy sci-fi book. And Brandon Graham just has more ideas that he just tosses away than some creators have in their whole career. He'll just toss that. Like, can you, will you please indulge me, Curtis, and Do read it. the Go. very first sentence of this book? Oh, yes, I will indeed. Yeah. Jung brother Hayo Hagen soars above the smoking remains of an imperial fortress hive, a stronghold to protect the empire's highest ranks laid waste by an unknown foe. That's just an opening setup. Fortress Hive Mm -hmm. laid waste by an unknown foe. We're just moving on from there. That's all you need to know. It's a giant spread. It it shows you and tells you uh, as much as you need to know. It gets your juices flowing. Your imagination is already just totally revved up. What's happening, you don't know yet, but you're primed for the action. And we're not going to come back to that sentence at all. We're not going to dwell anymore on what that is talking about. It's it's just so smart in giving you just enough of a crumb to get your brain going. Sure. Exactly. And it breezes by all this stuff. And, and so there's times where you feel like, I wish we could pause on this thing and learn more. Mm-hmm. You don't need that. Your your brain is is racing. You're, they keep you on the track of the train that is the Prophet comic as you're whizzing by weird aliens and giant bases and all kinds of other stuff. Um, I think this is a lot like a, a European sci-fi book. And it reminds me of like a like a Humanoids, which is a publisher that does like the InCall and Mobius stuff. So does it, because it reminds you of Mobius stuff specifically, is that why it reminds you of a European comic? Yeah, or is definitely. there other oh, well, parts of it? There's other stuff too, yeah. I mean, I think it, it follows its own rules. It doesn't go by... It's not a Star Wars style book. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you think sci-fi, you think a couple of things. You think maybe like post-apocalyptic. You think Terminator stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think oh, oh, in a world that we kind of know, but it's in a, in the future. Or you think like a giant space opera, like a saga or something. And sagas also does its own thing. I don't want to say these books are a certain way, but this book I think is just cutting its own bizarre path. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of as much of a fantasy book as it does a sci-fi book. That, that's a really good way of putting it. And, yeah, it's freaking the best. And yeah. I'm so glad that it's back. It is, um, it is a, it's nonsense. But, and by that I mean 
please read all of the other prophets so before you read Prophet Earth War number one. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Is I have not read Prophet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I picked this book up thinking, number one, I'm going to dive in and see what this is all oh, about. Oh, on Earth War you picked yeah. up? Oh. You, you, it is essential that you read the others, I believe, to get any coherency out of this comic. And I've read all of them, but then I was still like... Mm-hmm. Running to catch up yeah. with what he was doing here, so and you got to just be willing to do that with with this kind of book. You got to sure. just be willing to like go with it and be a little bit lost. Um, and but, it doesn't do exposition. You're a nope. fly on the wall. You're we're wherever the story's at. The exposition. You be ready for that. The exposition is used specifically to just throw out more weird ass concepts and shit that they're yep. gonna blow right past. Yeah, it's so well done. Yeah. So this was a Rob Liefeld created character mm. and made its uh, first appearance. Prophet made his first appearance in Youngblood number two in the year 1992. Think garbage. Written and drawn by Robert Liefeld. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, it ran on and off 20 issues over the course of, you know, six, eight years. Mm-hmm. The weird thing about Prophet when it restarted, so this is definitely a continuation of the Rob Liefeld thing, kind of. Yeah. They started with issue 21. So I remember when this book launched, you know, four or five years ago, everybody's like, where's issue one? Where's the other 20 issues? Yeah. And you have to, we have to convince everybody coming to the store, like, don't ever look at those. Whatever you do, <laughs> just pretend this is number one. It is number one. Don't do it. Um, I didn't know what to expect when they announced this. We knew who Brandon Graham was mm-hmm. when they announced Profit. And we were all scratching our heads like, what the hell is happening? Because And it's also... My it was a really early like kind of publisher single issue monthly thing for him. Yeah, he wasn't doing a lot of this kind. Yeah, of what stuff. did we have from him at that point? King City, multiple warheads, multiple warheads, and which are very kind of creator owned. Um, they might have been released serially, but they had a very indie vibe to them. Totally. And now it's like, oh, Brandon Graham is is doing a relaunch of a Rob Liefeld book in monthly form. Made no kind of sense. Yeah. Um. But the thing is, uh, you know, after now looking back on it, it's the perfect, this is what you do. This is how you do it. You put a very talented science fiction writer on, pick up, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go with that auteur on whatever almost. And, yep. you, and, you, and it, you likely will get something interesting. So, yeah, I'm glad it exists. They did a couple other, um, at that time that Prophet came out, there was a couple other image books that were also 90s relaunches. Yeah. What were they? So they did Glory. Glory. That which was, yeah. was um, Sophie Campbell. Mm-hmm. Also totally awesome, totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Same sort of a thing. In auteur, uh, Sophie Campbell was known for a book called Wet Moon. Mm-hmm. Creator-owned. Oni Press published it. Very cool book. But that was all written and drawn by Sophie Campbell. And then that same sort of a thing. Hey, let's relaunch glory which is terrible rob liefeld stuff just yeah you know never bring it up again like let's pretend it didn't happen sort of a comic um there so. was even one more there's a third one but i can't remember what i'm it was. blanking on what it was yeah, yeah. but so. anyway it was such a neat idea take yeah. these shitty characters yeah. and, and give them to geniuses and yep go nuts and this is this book has had like farrell dalrymple work on it mm-hmm. i mean the the talent on this book is just some of the best profit you mean profit excuse yeah. me yes back to profit so um yeah, the amount of talent on this book, it's weird. Give it a look. Grab Profit Volume 1. It's called Remission, mm-hmm. I think is the name of the Volume 1 trade paperback. Yeah, and be ready for a weird-ass ride. It's not like a character-driven thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very much like an idea-driven 
book. Yeah, and if you like a, a sort of a in-call style of of sci-fi, yeah, where it's big ideas and very cool designs. You yeah, know, the think, ships are cool. The aliens are cool. Think like Dune almost. Yeah. So, cool. Well, it's a weird book. Give it a look. Profit. Prof- Profit Earth War. Number one. There's going to be four of these, and then that's then it's done. Done allegedly. The end of end of profit. Yeah. So there you go. Excellent. Uh, was what else came out this week that you were excited about, Curtis? Oh, there's a few things. So uh, this Batman uh, by Ed Brubaker trade came out from DC Comics. I've never read any of this stuff. You love Batman and Ed Brubaker so much. So this is a bunch of uh, collections. Brubaker did Batman in Detective Comics and in Batman Comics, single issues, kind of willy nilly here and there. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. I had no idea. And. Uh, I'm super excited to read this. I, I read the first couple of issues worth. It's great. It feels like Ed Brubaker. The art's Tony McDaniel's, a little kind of mid-90s art style. Mm-hmm. But the writing's so solid that uh, I'm on point. I'm glad that this stuff exists. Like More Is Batman it, and more Ed Brubaker. It's a collection of singles? Single issues. Yeah, a lot of this stuff ran in Batman uh, late 500s. And, um, yeah, I, like again, I wasn't reading this, the monthly at that moment. So Brilliant. Yeah, I'm glad it's out. Cool. Very good. Yeah, there's so much more stuff this week, though, you guys. It was a good week in comics. It really was. I see Handsome Marcus sitting over there. What do you got? What's chomping your, at the bit. What's your big Will pick? Will you please use my new coined nickname? Marcus Diamond Schwimmer. Mark Diamond? Thank you. Oh, got it. Okay. I might get a necklace with that on it. What do you think? Mark Diamond, what was your pick this week? Uh, it's Old Man Logan, number one. So, before I dive into this comic, uh, last year... Uh, the traditional Logan Wolverine that we know died in a miniseries called Death of Wolverine. And I will be the first to admit that I was ecstatic because at that point, Logan was in essentially every Marvel comic they could place him in. He was in Miss Marvel. He was he had a ton of his own books. He was a busy guy. He was a busy guy, and there was just so much of him that it was it was pretty oversaturated. And then they killed Wolverine, and I thought, awesome, like... This will be great. We'll get a little break. They killed him in an awesome Yeah, and they did a really book. good way with it. It was yeah. such a good death. Right. Um, and now, due to the events of Secret Wars, the Logan that we know in the current Marvel Universe is Old Man Logan, a book originally written by Mark Millar mm-hmm. as, as in a little mini-series yep. called Old Man Logan. We'll call it a maxi-series even, can't yeah, we? Yeah, maxi-series. I'm down with that. What All was right. the premise of that original Mark Millar book? Uh, the World Goes to Hell... Logan, because he's Logan, lives through it. The villains win. The, the villains, villains win, and he's finally, yeah, yeah, and he's out in this wasteland of a world, and just trying to make his way through. And he's he's older and experienced, and more gruff even than before. He's got a family. Yeah, and um, something happened to him, right? Something very bad, and he has vowed to never pop the claws again. Right. Yeah, those claws are staying in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Secret Wars run was done by Brian Michael Bendis, and he did a great job with it. And now for the monthly Old Man Logan, we have Jeff Lemire taking the helm. And I was a little bummed at first that Brian Michael Bendis wasn't going to continue to write this series, but Jeff Lemire just does a killer job on this. And the art is done by Andrea Sorrentino. Yeah, and who did the last uh, yep. the run as well. Yep, and it is, uh, it is a, no one else draws like this. It is a very unique art style and I think it's part of the reason that I like this book yeah, so sort of very, like very much. So what's the penciled and colored over pencils? Yeah. Computer colored, but like I, I'm not sure. It's got a great look. So the premise is is that Logan's now old man Logan has gone from the wasteland, this harsh world where you have to fight every day to survive, 
and he's in current day Manhattan. In, so in the, in the way that Secret Wars, Wars. just smashed everything yep. together. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. So now Old Man Logan is in the one reality that we all share. Yep. Uh, even though it's all different, all the different Elseworlds and stuff has all been just smushed together. Absolutely. And his mission now is to go and find all of the people that create the wasteland, all the villains that create the wasteland and he take wants them to out. stop the future yep. from happening, the future that he thinks is going to happen. Which is like, you know, it's a little crazy because he, it's like another reality. It's yeah. not necessarily a given that it's going to happen. Yeah. In his mind, though, it's it's kind of what possesses him. So he's finding all these people that he has memories of in the future. That have in this one, someone's done something particularly terrible to his son, and uh, he's he's going to take him out. And I like it. It's an unreserved Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, the Logan that I kind of like best is the little bit more primal version. The idea of Logan like teaching people at the X Academy doesn't really click with me as much. Um, and I think they, Jeff Lemire did a great job. The art on this book is dynamite. Uh, it's a darker version of a superhero story. A little bit more in the vein of maybe a Punisher Max or something like that. And I, I really dug it. I had a great time with it. I thought it was a ton of fun and different. And uh, they do some stuff with sound words in this comic that I don't see a lot of other places. And I really, really dig it. You're saying onomatopoeia sound word type? I could just words? see Curtis inching to the edge of his seat to say onomatopoeia. I he was just getting ready. Because well, yeah. we, talk, we talked about some onomatopoeias like a couple podcasts ago. With, with Rachel, because she was saying so a lot of comics have gone silent. Yeah, so this one has great ones like uh, for electricity nice. and a lot of shinks and some blahs. And, yeah, they do a lot of cool stuff with sound. You get a little snicked? In the, get a little yeah, snicked a little in there? snicked in, yeah. When the, when the, when the claws, when the claws come out, yeah. Claws um, come out at night. So I, I'm really digging it. Uh, it also gives a little bit of a glimpse into the wasteland that we haven't seen because he's having these flashbacks. Yeah. And uh, it's it's brutal. And the way they update it from the original Millar view of the wasteland to incorporating superheroes like uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America, and what happened to him when the wasteland ended up happening and the villains won. Mm-hmm. I find that super fascinating. I really, really dig it. Um, I thought the book was a blast. It's uh, Its art style will carry me. I, I just was flipping pages to see what's up with the art style. It's great. I really, really dug it. I loved the last run. I loved this book. Jeff Lemire really just picks it up and runs with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of this comic, I mean, it's a great last couple five pages where you're like, I can't wait to see where this is going. Yeah. They really leave it in an awesome place. Like, yes, let's let's do this. It's very dive-inable. Totally. You can jump right into this issue. Never read the Malar run. Never run the yeah. Secret Wars Bendis run. You can just pick this book up. And go with it. And uh, it's it's just a version. There's so many different versions of Logan. Um, some of them I can I like and some of them I could leave. But Old Man Logan is one that is really on the top of my list. So I'm excited to see him in a monthly comic. Uh, I think it's an absolute blast. I say turn them all into old, old people. <laughs> it's interesting. We've talked about this. Like Old Man Logan, best Logan? Old Man Captain America is killing it. He's great. Uh, I don't know. I love the idea of having a more age-diverse superhero universe. Have them all just complaining about soup. Yep. Prescriptions. <laughs> exactly. Healthcare's got to be... Coleslaw. Yeah. yeah. This coleslaw is is not spicy enough. <laughs> However, for the 317 I paid for it, <laughs> I feel that eight ounces would have been more appropriate. Uh, Scott oh, Summers. Oh, oh, there's a whole thing. Yeah, there's a whole thing about... It's interesting because I'm reading the um, all-new X-Men book that has to do exclusively with Cyclops. 
and these two books are bound to cross each other's well, paths. Here's I'm the thing, right? I mean, Old Man Logan has got essentially a hit list. Yep. Right in this bad boy, and um, he's gonna run into you know face to face with the heroes mm-hmm. of the Marvel universe. Yeah, and they don't know. It's not gonna go well. Yeah, it's gonna be think. interesting. It's gonna be a, a showdown. Um, the other book I really dug. If I encourage everyone to read, uh, Charles Soule has taken over the Daredevil run that Mark uh, Wade originally was running, and uh, it's awesome. It's it's a great comic book story. They're definitely tuning it a little bit more like the Netflix show. Mm. Um, there's 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 a lot of punching. There's in a the ton face, of punching, and there's like punching. ninja. So the big the the big villain right now is Ten Fingers, who's a kind of an established. <laughs> yeah. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he's a cool bad guy. Um, Ran out of nicknames. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, this Daredevil run by Charles Soule is excellent. It's got a ton of like Asian mythology incorporated into it, and uh, some good lawyery stuff, as any good Daredevil comic should have. So I highly encourage that people check out the Charles Soule Daredevil run. Great. Nice. old Charles Both Ears Soul. That's right. Uh, yo, N Train. What's up? You got a big pink? As it happens, I do. And cool. I'm just going to be very, very brief about it. Because uh, what more do you need to say about Hellboy? Not Hel- very much. Hellboy. 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 That's all you got to say. Next. <laughs> uh, this is the Hellboy Winter Special. It's a series of four vignettes, mm. all set in the Hellboy universe. Uh, name a book that's been as good for this long. Go. For 30 years. For 30 years. Anybody. I can't. Go ahead. I won't. You cannot. I no. It's a fully fleshed out and awesome and intriguing universe, and it just is so good. And these are all different creators all playing around in this universe and nailing it. Mike Mignola and Scott Alley, art by Tim Sale for the first so, uh, little vignette. And here's here. the thing: me and Tim Sale, we haven't totally agreed on him being a good artist recently. But, um, but tell but me, but I like this. His Mike Mignola impression yeah. is yeah. killer. It's pretty rad. Um, and it's it's just more of what you want. BPRD. If you haven't read BPRD. Please get your shit together. Yeah. A, Set an alarm. Get your shit together. And the thing is, Mike Mignola has written, I mean, what, 90% of all of this for 30 years? So it's interesting. Like, he has, like, plotted out. Uh, if you look at any of the stuff coming out right now, it's co-written by him. Sure. It's it's So it's not, you know, the Hellboy, Hellboy stuff, Hellboy in Hell that they recently just did. Yeah. Is, that's all him. Yep. But mostly it's him and somebody else. But he's plotted this stuff out to the high heavens at this point. It's yeah. so kooky. I love it. You it's can't really think cool. of any other character or book that a creator's hand is is in all of it. Have yep. you ever come out with like a world guide or monster book for Hellboy Universe? Ooh. That would be so cool. I don't it, think it could. So. It would be helpful at this point. Well, because there's just so many layers to the Hellboy Universe. There's yeah. the Underdark. Where all the dark elves oh, live. You just do a giant tome. Yeah, of it'd be so cool. The world of I Hellboy. I could really just use a timeline at this yeah. point. There's just so much shit. There's a uh, kind of abominable, abominable snowman character in mm-hmm. this book, and I just think that's what I love. It's like they're so they draw from all these different mythos for the Hellboy universe. Mm-hmm. Everything from Mayan to Africa. I mean, it's just the best. And uh, that that being said, they're not afraid to get a little kooky and laughy and goofy with it. And yep, I really there's a, there's a couple of really silly ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. That's Hellboy nice. Winter Special. Um, the other two books that came out this week that I'm really excited about, really briefly, mm-hmm. if I may, do it. Uh, the Spire number six came out. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know what to what to say at this point if you're not reading the Spire. I hey. talked about it ad nauseum. Can I tell you a secret, Nick? Yeah. Uh, I got more copies of Spire number one. We currently have every. Copy every yes. issue one through six in stock Woo! now. Vault of Midnight. Breed at the spire, you yeah. guys. 
It's crazy good. Also, Spider Woman number three came out this week. You're in love with this comic, which Nick. is gonna, which is just gonna fuck around and be, turn it into the best superhero book. It's there's a alien maternity ward, you guys, and there's this moment where Spider Woman is running through this hospital through all of like the weirdest parts of the alien maternity yeah, ward, yeah. where they're like all of these different insane creatures giving birth. It's so good. I'm reading it. You've never read anything like this. Yeah, it's cool. Spider Woman. Noise, noise. Those are our big picks. They are uh, Prophet Earth War number one from Image Comics. Uh, Old Man Logan number one from Marvel. Thank you, Jeff Lemire. And the Hellboy Winter Special. They're nice. all number ones or standalones. They are, and they're from three different publishers. Check us out, you guys. Cool. Wow. Hey, uh, let's give a listen to the uh, interview that we did with Riley Rossmo. Oh, cool. Let's. I'm here with Riley Rossmo. He's the artist for some of the best, weirdest comics of the past decade, including Green Wake, Proof, Cowboy Ninja Viking, Drumheller, and Rasputin, which for my money is easily one of the smartest and best-looking comics being released month to month right now. In 2012, Rosmo was declared Artist of the Year by USA Today, and he's been one of our favorites for as long as we've read his work at both at Vault of Midnight and here on the, the old Super Skull podcast. Riley Rosmo, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me on. So I guess I wanted to start out and just find out what brought you to comics. What, what was the, did, did you read comics as a kid? Is this something you came to later in life? I've always been deeply into comics. I think that my first memory is of a, a Tales of G.I. Joe that my grandma gave me when I, I think I was about five years old. Tales of G.I. Joe? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It was reprints. It was a reprint of G.I. Joe number four. Do you I didn't know that at the time. I just found that out recently. Do you remember what it was about? Uh, Herb Trimpey drew it, and Cobra was building a giant Kirby Tech-looking vehicle to rule the world. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in it. But it's perfect. That's ex that's exactly the kind of thing that'll stick with you. Mm -hmm. Um. And what was your? And you continued reading comics throughout. Your childhood, or did you take a... I find that a lot of times people with comics, like they have this breakup period where you stop reading comics for a while. Did you go through anything like that? No. Just I know like lots of people had that sort of, you know, the 93, 94 breakup period with like just the image saturation and everybody trying to emulate that super big muscles gun stuff. Yeah. But at that period of time when I should have maybe or could have maybe stopped reading comics... Um, I just read more like Vertigo stuff or like black and white stuff. So you, 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 all these other dudes are posers. You just like stuck with it. Well, I just really like the medium. Yeah. I've read lots of French comics. Uh, I went to French immersion school. That's like a, it was probably a thing in the States, but it's the thing in Canada. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I didn't write, really like reading French books. So I'd just read like Bon Dessine stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the teacher said that was good enough for book reports. So I'd read Tintin and Asterix and Lucky Luke, stuff like that. That's outstanding. I always, I always find a bridge. I'd always find a bridge just to keep reading comics. Any way that you could. Yeah. Lots of old stuff too because we didn't have tons of money. So I'd go – my dad would give me a buck or two bucks um, when we'd see him on the weekends or every second weekend or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you could get six comics for a dollar. So I could get – a lot of 70s comics because it's mostly 70s stuff in the 25 cent bins at that time. Mm -hmm. So you could get 12 comics for two bucks. 
and it was all the stuff that's um, just really cool Bronze Age stuff, like uh, Windsor Smith Conan and John Buscema Conan and Ross Andrews Spider Man. And you're just getting whatever you can, I'd imagine, because you're just like digging through quarter bins. Yeah, just, just dig through them and just whatever cool stuff. Did you like have a John Byrne X Men? Oh, sure, that would have been right in that zone. Yeah. Did yeah, you I love John Byrne X Men? Power Man and Iron Fist, I really liked. Absolutely. From that era was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Did you have like a shop that you that like your comic shop that you um, frequented? Yeah, and I I don't want to speak poorly of it, but it was kind of like a, you can speak poorly of it. That's okay. They don't exist anymore. Oh, okay. It's sort of like High Fidelity, the High Fidelity store. Yes. That's what that movie's called, right? Yeah. Yeah. That they were really like dismissive and kind of mean, right? All the time, and whatever. It's just it was how it was. You're my reading, brother, you're reading John Byrne X Men. They just be like, Phew. yeah. Oh, just it didn't matter what I read. It was just always like that. <laughs> I'd walk up to the counter like, and it was that was the worst part of it. So picking out the comics was so fun, uh-huh. but there was the dread. And so once oh, yeah. in a while, I'd be like two cents short for tax, and you could get six for a dollar plus tax. Right. But I'd have like a dollar five, and you need a dollar seven, and the guy would be like, "You don't have enough." You're kidding me. They have to do a slow walk back to the bins and, and put back half of them, right? No. But it was funny. At a con in like where my mom lives in Saskatoon recently, a couple of the guys that owned the store um, came to get books signed. Yeah. And I was, I was just like, oh, yeah, I used to come into your shop when I was a kid all the time. It was really great that I was there. And, you know, I'm really grateful that you guys had a 25-cent bin and stuff. And it was just a nice sort of – circle oh so that was a that was a pleasant interaction you didn't like have your revenge like oh guess that what one. dude these this this do you have tax you got the you, got, <laughs> like, do you have tax for that signature no you're, you're two cents short <laughs> dog sorry back of the I'm line i'm really grateful that it was there right there's not not everybody in small towns has access to that's totally true new comics right yeah absolutely. it was a store there's a shop in where i grew up that i really liked that was just like a little bit too far to ride your bike to mm-hmm that once in a while I could convince my mom or dad to take me there, that I'm still friends with the owner of that shop now. Are they still there? Yep. Oh. They've been there for, yes, yeah, since the early 80s. That's fantastic. I love that. And what? And, and where did you grow up? Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It's like right in the very middle of Canada. In two comic shops near Saskatoon. They are used for a while. There was like, I don't know, four or five. Wow, that is excellent. Yeah. Was like was was there a big kind of scene for comics in that area? Um, Were people really into it in general? Yeah, well, I just it was a really big deal in the '90s. Like, so many speculators were buying stuff, and okay. so a lot of the stores popped up for the speculate speculator boom then. And that was your prime reading time was in the was in the '90s. That's when you kind of like first started getting into it, or yeah, but probably like when I was eight. Eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. so like eighty, late eighties, early nineties. Okay. A Tom Grummet. This is just a weird thing. Tom, do you know who Tom Grummet is? No, I don't. He uh, he drew the first run of the Thunderbolts in whenever that came out, early two thousands. Okay. He drew he drew a bunch of Death of Superman. He's my mom's neighbor. Shut up! Seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's just it's weird, and I didn't know that till I was an adult. Till I was like growing up, I didn't even didn't even know they lived in Saskatoon. Oh, that's hilarious. So from, you studied at um, 
the Alberta College of Art and Design, and did you was your plan to what what was your what was your focus of study there? Were you into comics at that point, or did that kind of come later? In terms of like, I want to make comics. Yeah, I don't really know. It's it's sort of I just always needed to. I've always just had the desire to to draw mm-hmm. and to create things. I didn't really know. Like I I kind of went to art school by accident. I didn't like I had friends that lived here and I ended up going on a tour of the art college. And I just didn't know I didn't even know you could make a living making making images. Yeah. Doing illustration for a living. And so I just visit friends up here and eventually I went on a tour of the art college with them and um they said they have opportunities there for for people who don't have high school diplomas. There was sort of like a GED program mm-hmm. sort of thing that you take college courses and get, you know, whatever study, study skills you need mm-hmm. to, you know, go to college. So I don't even have a high school diploma. But, you- but anyways, I sort of fell into it. I just wanted to draw stuff all the time. And it, it just as this, it sort of unfolded. I ended up with this opportunity that I'm really grateful for to go to college. And I had been making comics and doing samples just on my own. But I think being around um, some really great uh, technicians in the illustration program sort of bridge that gap to do, to be able to be technically advanced to make comics. Cause they're so demanding that you have to do everything. But initially I mostly did advertising and, um, advertising and editorial illustration and comics on the side. Did you think that that would be your career path? Did you think that it was going to be, Oh, if I'm lucky, I'll do some comics occasionally. Or was that always the the driving goal? Like I'm going to make comics. Yeah, I just kept. Well, I just kept making them. I I don't know. Like it wasn't a, a plan. I see. So much as just some like a compulsion and something that just had to happen. Mm-hmm. I just did it anyways. I would have made comics. I still probably would make comics for free if I couldn't get paid to do it. Was um was Seven Sons your first kind of foray into like getting published by a big publisher? Yeah. That um so before that or maybe during that process, I'd done lots of magazine illustration and stuff, which doesn't translate at all to comics. Like the people, the editorial in comics don't care if you've worked for <laughs> any magazines, right? They don't care if you've been like nationally or internationally published with magazines, and that's that's fair because it's a different s- skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, with that book, uh, what's his name, Larry Young. The AIT publisher because mm-hmm. it was when AIT AIT Planet Lar was still a company and Brian Wood was publishing through them and Joe Casey, Becky Cloonan did some stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the like I decided Alex and I decided that was the publisher that we thought was putting out interesting stuff at the time. So we started Seven Sons and we did twenty pages of it. And we're like, 20 pages, that's like a huge sample of it. <laughs> Nobody can say no to 20 pages. Right. We showed it to Larry, and he was like, oh, yeah, it kind of looks cool. If you finish it, maybe I'll publish it. And he thought, no, I thought it was. It is I finished. was so mad. <laughs> it was in San Diego, and I was so mad that he wouldn't commit to it. But I didn't, what else are you going to do, right? So right. we finished it. We finished it. We did another <laughs> 120 pages on spec. Uh-huh. And it was good. We'd open the door. And so did you, so Al, that's Alex's Alex Grecian, um, yeah. who wrote Seven Sons? 
He wrote Seven Sons and he wrote Proof and he wrote Rasputin. Did you guys know each other um, before this point or how did, how did you meet him? We met because um, it was, early, I mean, not super early internet, but early internet era. And I'm not super technologically literate. Mm-hmm. Um, we were standing in line. So that's all to say that the only way I knew to get in com- comics was to go to San Diego and meet editors or something, do talent submissions. Mm-hmm. So Alex and I were both waiting in line to get a, rev- a portfolio review from a Dark Horse editor. And our, both our significant other- others happened to be with us. And they exchanged information. Just cause, so, just chatting in line? Yeah, my wife and Alex's wife exchanged our portfolios kind of. We didn't even talk for <laughs> the first time. And then he emailed me a couple weeks after that. And, and did, you, did you guys just like start bouncing ideas off of each other? Or did he have like, hey, I have this idea for a script? Or how does something like Seven Sons and Proof, how do they move from, hey, we know each other and we both like comics into like start actually getting executed? Well, Alex has a, a box of ideas. He had an idea box. And so he just dumped out his idea box and asked me what I'd be interested in drawing of like the list of things that he had in there. I see. And some of this stuff too in there, um, he started off uh, as in wanting to be a writer artist and he did some anthology stuff for the, uh, when Scott McCloud I think was collecting the 24 hour comics into like collections. Mm-hmm. He has a story in there. So he had some stuff that he'd even drawn a little bit of and, he just went through his list and asked what I liked. And same with Proof. With Proof, he, he just said, so after Seven Sons, he's like, what do you want to do next? I said, I don't know what's in the idea box. <laughs> I just dumped out the idea box and that's what happened. Do you guys um, start to, what, once, so it gets dumped out of the idea box and you and it's you know a premise or whatever. And then do you guys kind of work together to develop the ideas of the story or does did, did Alex kind of have these, were they pretty fully formed by the time they... They make it into the idea box. Well, like Seven Sons is a retelling of you know a folk tale, mm-hmm. so that was mostly ready made. But for proof, it was just the the premise is you know Tars like Tarzan in reverse. What if you had a you know Sasquatch raised by humans, mm-hmm. and then um, from there just some did some concept art, and then just went back and forth from there. I mean, mostly like Alex, when I work with Alex, he has the big sort of beats in mind. Sure. And then I read them and I'll be like, well, what if we do this or what if we do that? Or sometimes I just ask him for a scene. Mm-hmm. Like in proof, I really want to have a dinosaur get shot by like a really big gun. <laughs> so there's like a whole, the yeah. second arc is just about that. That's, that came out of just that idea and, that I just want to have a dinosaur get shot by a gun. The whole arc was built I, around I, that idea? Yeah, by like a cannon. Like I just had a, the <laughs> idea of an image of, you know, just a big dinosaur getting shot by a really big gun. Yes. Yeah. That turned. That's actually all I want to read now. And also, I don't know if this, if you like her stuff or not, but um, I imagine you, you guys probably do. Fiona Staples colored the second arc of Proof. I didn't know that. Yeah, her and um, man, my memory's garbage today. Oh, and Fraser Irving. No shit. His Fraser Irving is uncredited. It's uncredited. I, yeah, they. I went to school with Fiona. She graduated the year after I did from ACA. And so, when she was just early making comics, she was kind enough to color three issues of Proof for us. That is so awesome. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I'm gonna go back and check that out today. 
Do you have that thing where you see other people's art and you go, and it, and it, it is it either inspiring or frustrating? Like, do you see it and go like, damn it, I'll never be able to do that? Or do you see that and go like, yes, the, we can all do better? I'd make, I see them and, and I get frustrated and yeah. then I just have to go draw right after. That's awesome. Like, for whatever reason, Jason's covers right now make me so jealous, like in, the, in a good way that it makes me like motivated to make more. His covers are so good right now. His trees covers make me so happy. They are so good. They're so smart. That like they're awesome. so so smart. Every time I see one, a new one, it just like it makes me so happy. Yeah. The people grinder one was the best. Like the the last trees cover, there's these. I don't know if you read it, but there's these yeah. three giant gears, mm-hmm. and they're grinding up people. And then the second read, and I talked to him about it. I can't remember if he said it was intentional or not. Is if you squint at it. They kind of look like Mickey Mouse. The three gears look what? like a, a Mickey Mouse head grinding up all these people. God, it's so awesome. Yeah. You should check it out. And I'm, I'm going to check it, it out immediately. Be, but, but look at it. Yeah. Well, Green Wake was fucking brilliant. How did you start working with Curtis Weeb? He's, uh, he's also from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um. Did you guys know each other kind of locally before you started working together or? No, how did I meet him? Maybe, like I met him through a friend of a friend. I think it, there's a little bit of a, like a little, there's a little comic scene there now. And Cowboy Ninja Viking was wrapping up mm-hmm. and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And actually, Curtis and I played Dungeons and Dragons together occasionally. And he had done, he did something, he did a mini series for uh, the Atomic Robo guys. Oh, Red Red Five. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, Red Five. Yeah, and so he gave me that, and he asked if I wanted to do something. Um, Alex had started to move into writing novels instead of comics, mm-hmm. and I like Curtis's idea. I thought it had a lot of uh, heart. So the idea behind Green Wake for folks that haven't checked it out is that um, there's this town, and a murder has happened, but nobody knows how they got to this town. Nobody yeah. really knows how they how they arrived there. And so both the story, there's the mystery that like kind of drives the plot, but then there's this over mystery of what is going on with Green Wake. Um, and there's this really neat thing that happens where color, the color palette changes based on, you know, um, the perspective of time. Is that kind of accurate? Is yeah. it fair to say that? Yeah, yeah, because the, the storytelling, color is a storytelling device within it, so... It's just a really easy way to separate from the past from the present mm-hmm. and then later on the future too. Was the idea of that, was that baked in from the beginning, the idea of pa- color palettes and time? Yeah, definitely. I, I would like to color, if I had the time, I would color everything myself because I think that color is a really important mm-hmm. uh, storytelling device. But, you know, it just adds another sure four hours to my day or some three hours right. to my day. Um. What is your technique? So you so you're approaching a you have a script and does it kind of depend on the writer as to how you kind of proceed from the script? Yeah. I mean I try to tailor whatever tailor the art to whatever I'm working on, but the actual process is usually the same of getting the the ink on the page. Mm-hmm. But then like with say Wild Children with Alish Cot is you know very clean it's totally different. It looks like 100% different than Green Wake. Mm-hmm. The, but the process, I, like I take the script, 
read the script over a couple times, generate a thumbnail for for each page. And then the, the thing that I've been doing lately is so I, I figure out the thumbnail of sort of what the page is going to look like. I draw all the figures. And do you do this by hand or do you, or digitally or both? Both kind of. Okay. I, I used to do pretty much everything by hand, but just perspective drawing is so much faster in, in Manga Studio. So I draw all the figures by hand, just like on a piece of, just like a sketchbook, sketchbook page. Mm-hmm. Scan that out. And then Photoshop, collage, all the figures into the right, the right spaces and scale them up and scale them down so they're all situated correctly. And then draw backgrounds around them in Manga Studio, output the board, draw over all the parts that are still feel weird, and then ink it, scan it back in, mm-hmm. and add a halftone. Which is, seems like a lot of lot more steps than is necessary. It seems just, like a lot. I have no idea if it's necessary, but it it's working. Just what happens, yeah. Yeah. Um, is the approach a lot different when you're doing cover art? You have a pretty big body of work just doing just doing covers. Yeah, I mean, covers is 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 similar, but it's most the trick. What I think is important about covers is just the the composition. Um, and so I'll spend hours just getting a thumbnail right for the composition, but once the, the shapes are all blocked in, mm-hmm. the actual execution doesn't take that long. Especially lately when there's big, when I've been doing stuff with more big graphic shapes, which is big, big color fields, big mm-hmm. chunks of, you know, like red or like the Hellblazer 9 cover is just a big red block pretty much with a little bit of black on it. Mm-hmm. So it's all the conceptualizing. So it, 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 the feel is different than I'm, I'm working on a comic book page. I'm working on a cover page. You, you, it's not, you kind of approach it into like with a totally different headspace. Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, the, the cover is just, just about the idea, 100% about the idea, for me anyways. Mm-hmm. And then insides are, interiors are just more labor intensive because there's just more to draw. Sure. Um, we're almost out of time, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Rasputin. Um, which I mentioned at the top is, you know, absolutely one of my favorite comics coming out right now. I'm a huge, huge fan of that book. Thanks. Um, so every time a new issue of Rasputin comes out, I just I look immediately for the double page spread. Yeah, yeah. Um, wh- where did this? Uh, where did that come from? What, what, what was the what was the inspiration? Between? So in every issue of Rasputin, in, in to kind of set us in the place, there is a big double page spread of like. Is it almost like a landscape scene? It's like a, a big panoramic view of like this is where we are right now. With this, uh, yeah. cool. I imagine there's like a big loud noise too. You that, know, that's what like, I imagine. It goes, Darn. that's like exactly. Oh my inception god, inception noise. You know, yeah, the inception noise. Yeah, Bwah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So wh- how did how did that idea come about? Uh, Alex just came up with it. I don't know. He just it was just something that was really important to him right from the get go. I think it was because. He he's been um, working on novels for so long, and there's lots of editorial mm-hmm. um, involvement. And coming back to comics, he wanted to make something where there, you know, there just wouldn't be people bossing him around. So if he wants to do, you know, four double page spreads an issue, <laughs> Image is happy. They don't like they don't that's, care. They're happy with that. They don't care if, if it's cool and it makes the pace seem interesting. Mm-hmm. Why not? You know. And it's fun for me, like it's just having those big open spaces, like throughout the whole series, especially 
when we started working on the first issue, it was just really like freeing and gratifying to say these two pages, we're going to make eight pages just cause just, we want to have a big open space for a bear to fight Rasputin or just fight his dad, you know, like that's fun. And the, the, the pacing of it is so interesting in that way. Cause the, especially that first issue is very, is mostly wordless. If I remember we uh, added words, we added a bunch of words. When the the whole thing was done, uh-huh. it was only three pages with with any uh, dialogue on them, and we got a little bit nervous. Alex is like, <laughs> "There's only three pages with anything on them. I think we should just add a, just a little bit more." But even then, I think there's only seven pages with with any real dialogue or narration on them. It was such a standout issue. I was just like, I've never read anything like this, and like, and now to and to hear you say that. You guys would take a scene and then spread it out over the course of many pages. Like it just it worked so well, and it continues to work so well every month. Well, thanks. I think that's the kind of the beauty of of doing stuff at Image um, is that you just have that that ability to do that. If if it just needs to be a spread, it needs to be a spread. Like in the the newest uh, I Hate Fairyland, mm-hmm. there's this three panel page that um Scott he just was like. It's only one. I only need to use one page for this, but why not? It's my book. If if the readers get an extra couple pages because the art needs it, who cares? That's awesome, right? So they printed more pages just on the back of like, no, I feel like doing this. Well, yeah, because you you have, I think, thirty two pages mm-hmm. to do whatever you want. You can do more than that. You just you know, cost the book is a little bit more expensive for the creator then, but image doesn't. It's great. They're super supportive. If you want to do a 34-page comic and charge $2.99 for it, you can do that. It's, it's very freeing. That's brilliant. So there's no there's nobody looking over your shoulder like, hey, cut it down, guys. Cut your page down. No, not at all. If you don't want to have ads, you don't have to have ads. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very liberating to just spread stuff out if you want. Well, I have a million more questions for you, but we're totally out of time. Um, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, yeah, it's super fun. It's excellent. It's a huge honor. Um, volume two of Rasputin uh, comes out today, the day that this interview will go live. And if you haven't checked it out, go check out Rasputin Volume One, uh, Green Wake, Proof, Seven Sons, uh, really this Mr. Brosmo's whole body of work. Um, thanks again, Riley. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nick, that was a really nice interview between you oh. and Mr. Rossimo. Thank you very much. You did a great job. Uh, that dude is awesome, and I want to talk to him so much more. I, I like. Hope, I hope he lets us do it someday. I like the comic book story that he did. I thought that was the comic shop story, I should say. Mm-hmm. Su- such a classic comic shop story. It really is. Yeah. yeah. About so. the mad comic shop dude. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> <wanted> <laughs> how he would be scared to go up to the yeah, guy. Exactly. Like, yeah. Fuck what you like. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I just, you know, it... it Shows how small the world can be. The fact that he would end up at a at a college, and just so happens that Fiona Staples is there at the same time. Isn't that wild? That's wild to me. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know he was Canadian, which is just further fuel on the fire that all Canadians are awesome comic book creators. I think all of them are. The whole country of Canada. Mm-hmm. They just all make comic books, and they're all really good at it. Good job, guys. Riley Rossmo. Please rebring back the character and draw a new. Nelvana of the Northern Lights comic. I want it so bad. Oh, I, want, I want a Canadian 
writer artist combo to bring back Nelvana so bad. And you he's, know, he's he might the, be, might he's be the, the man dude to draw. Job. He's yeah. the dude to draw it. I like wow. that idea. You can only just, I mean, if you want to put me down as co writer on that comic, that'd be fine because, you know, inspiration and whatnot. But please. Please, please, please. Draw. Full, full co-writer credit. Please bring Delvana of the Northern <laughs> To Mark back. Diamond. I'm down. That'd nice. Be, that'd be on fleck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we uh, played some board games last weekend. Yeah. Nick, and, Nick and I... Are, yeah, I do remember. Nick and I are on a quest this year to play uh, the to- all of the top 20 board game geek board games this year. Top 20. Yep, we want to play them all. That That's is extremely doable. I think it's so. It's very doable, yeah. and we're going to. I've played most of them. I'm not trying to brag, but I've already played most that sounds of them. Like Entrain, that sounds like a brag. It was well, a little let bit me, of a Let me ask you brag. this, though. Yeah. Can, but you have to replay them all, though, because with Marcus. Yeah, and that's yeah. going to be a chore for some of those, but yes. Yeah. What you talking, what, what's that mean? Nobody's bigger than the game. Oh, not because of you. Not because spending time and playing games with you is a chore. No, Mark Diamond. Because like. some of those games are, you know, yeah. they just take a long time. Yeah. So there was big news in the board game community the last couple of weeks. Um, Twilight Struggle has been the number one board game on Board Game Geek for a while What now. is Board Game Geek? Board Game Geek is this, on, it is the, dare I say, online resource for board game news, reviews, questions, Upcoming board game, you know, info, it's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a ranking of the, the be- top, they, they rank all their board games. It's a pretty legendary ranking system. Yeah. It's widely regarded as, you the, know, the definitive, this is how board yeah. games should be considered. Now, yeah. let me ask you this, though. If I understand yeah. properly, the rankings are click-based. They're, they're user-based. They are, they're based on, so there's... There are users, and then there's just the general public, and anybody can rate a board game. And they have a really complicated algorithm that I don't understand at all that that determines based on the rankings that individuals give the game, and they give different weight to people if they're, like, users of the site. I see. Somebody knows how this works, and it's not me. But they've spent a lot of time figuring out a way that it's not just... The hottest stuff of the moment doesn't just rise to the top. Like, Twilight Struggle had been the number one game on BoardGameGeek for... I feel like years like and a years. really long yeah. time. Like many years. Yeah. And so just recently, the game Pandemic Legacy dethroned Twilight Struggle, and it sent some ripples. It was big. It was kind of a big deal. I, I, uh, I fanned those ripples. Yeah, you did. Because I don't, I like, pan, I think Pandemic is played out. Yeah. But that's because you played it a lot, and, and it's one, you know, it's like. Yeah, so I think when Pandemic came out, it was like, oh, we've never seen anything like this. This is really interesting. Right. And it doesn't, I don't think it had a lot of legs on it. I see. Like, you, it's just, it's, you can play it so many times before you completely get everything that it's doing. Got and it. And then, I don't need to play Pandemic. And then they've, the really neat thing is that they've iterated on it since. These, like, Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert games by the same designer, mm-hmm. uses the same engine, but it's just sweeter. Yeah. Got so it. my thing is, like, I don't care about Pandemic. No more pandemic. You, you appreciate it for what it did, where it was at Absolutely. the time, but now we've got other games that yeah. do it better. So, so I was a real hater pants about yeah, the, I, the fact that Pandemic Legacy was getting so much attention. Well, let me say this. I haven't played Legacy. I've only played Pandemic, but we saw Legacy go through the roof in the shop Oh yeah, over the holidays Absolutely. in the last couple of months. Like People are losing their mind yes. yeah. for Pandemic Legacy. But needless to say, Nick was not super thrilled about sitting down with this one. I gotcha. Yeah. No. So we sat down. There was four of us. That's the maximum amount of players you can do with Pandemic Legacy. And uh, I think we can both agree we had a 
very enjoyable time. I was totally wrong. It's a lot of fun. It's They've a ton of fun. Change things? Yeah, yeah so it's interesting. So the the legacy system, they did this thing with Risk Legacy. And the idea is that you play a game, and then the things that happen in that game have permanent consequences for your board forever. Oh. You put stickers on the board. You rip up cards. You change the rules of the game by, like, writing over things in the rule book. Oh. Yeah. You, you, it's a, it, the idea is that you have a season with this game. Right. right. And you might play, you might get 24 to 30 plays out of this one board game box. But it's going to be totally different for you and your group than it's going to be for anybody else that, that bought the same game. Yeah. And each time you play, it's going to be different based on the changes the previous play has. Exactly. exactly. I so see. what's neat is that in Pandemic, the, so the premise of Pandemic is that diseases are breaking out all over the world and you need to find the cures to these diseases. You are mm-hmm. the World Health Organization, essentially. And everybody's working together to find the cures to these diseases. And it's a really simple, you move around the board, you collect co- cards, you play down cards to find the cures. It's a very like kind of straightforward thing. Got it. But in this one, as the cities kind of like break out with disease, like the, there's civil unrest in the cities. And the more they break out, there could be like rioting that starts. Ooh. And then that city is permanently fucked because of riots. Yeah. Oh. For the rest of your career playing Pandemic Legacy. Oh, wow. That's just one of the many things that could happen. Okay. Yeah, and it's really cool. You can modify your characters kind of in that tabletop RPG style with different special abilities, but the team as a whole has to decide who's going to get what special abilities. And then that endures for The rest of the game, plays. unless your character dies. Mm-hmm. Wow, and if your character dies, they're dead dead? They're dead dead. Well, a character can't die in Scars. pandemic. Scars. They can be affected, and they can have no, things that... Can the scars kill you? Yeah, you, you can re-roll. You're going to have to re-roll your character. Oh, oh yeah. my snaps. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so this is the thing about... So I like regular pandemic. I often use it as a game to get people excited about gaming because it's a little hectic. It can be hectic at times, mm-hmm. and people like that, that sense of urgency when playing a board game. Um, but Pandemic Legacy, much like Time Stories, has this like lasting effect. There's so much a more... Persistent, wi- yeah, RPG-ish. A little bit, but also you know that every turn you take can affect the game for the whole rest of the time you're playing it. That's pretty dope. And it, it adds a real sense of weight to your actions. Mm-hmm. Um I loved it. I thought it was a ton of fun. I had a lot of fun, and I had never played anything with this under this legacy system. Mm-hmm. And I can just see the possibilities. Yeah, we were talking afterwards about what other games could kind of use a refresh with this legacy. You system. could just you could put there are so many games that you could apply this to, and yeah. it's so brilliant. I'm super into like as you go. The yeah. game morphing. That is such a cool idea. And there's like and there's stuff that we didn't even scratch. No. Like there's all these decks of cards that you open up under at certain points. Uh-huh. There's like that are gonna complete I imagine completely change the way the game is played. Yeah. Because the first one you play, you know, season one, game one, you're just playing pandemic. Just to get the hang of it. And then from there, like there's like these secret dossiers that you have to rip open and what? then st- what's in there? We don't even know what's no, in there. No, we have no idea. Um, but man, this the, the, to apply this system to so many other games, yeah. And don't be scared off by the idea that you are like ripping off cards and that it has a limited number of playthroughs. It's worth you're gonna oh, get, if you a, get thirty plays out of a game. That's more than I play any. Yeah, game. it's right. ridiculous. Yeah, if you get ten plays out of a board. Oh game. Oh my god. Yeah. So I will say this: uh, Asmodee Games, you've recently acquired the rights to Settlers of Catan, a game that I could never play again because I've played it a million times. Uh, the legacy system is ripe to refresh that game. Now, Pandemic Legacy, is 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 that 
Asmodee? Oh, I don't know. I thought it was right Z-Man. It's Z-Man, but somebody bought Z-Man. That's true, they did. Yeah, Philosophia bought Z-Man. I think Z-Man has the lockdown on this legacy thing. Oh, that's too bad. I don't know. I, I, mean, I could be yeah, that's too bad. talking out of my ass. But There's a ton of games out there that, that have been around and kind of done their wave. Yeah. Um, and they could be totally refreshed. Catan Legacy could be the coolest thing. Um, and so I hope that the success of this, and not to say that Risk Legacy is done poorly, because it hasn't. Oh, but, it's hugely successful. Yeah, yeah. But I hope that this this pandemic legacy dethroning Twilight Struggle and getting the sales number that it does inspire other games that have maybe run their course to adapt this system. I just love that there's a, just a whole new way of looking at board games. It's totally. like a finite experience based around your group. Yeah. It's so cool. And we're seeing yep. a number of games, like even, you know, Time Stories, a yep. game that we talk about, it feels like that. Mm-hmm. There are lasting consequences to what you do in that game as well. And uh, I love it. I It gives your play session so much more meaning and weight and lasting effects, and it builds a ton of camaraderie between the group. So, like, we have a Time Stories group, and now we kind of have a, a Pandemic Legacy group. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to play with those dudes again because they understand what's going on and they know what's happened to give the consequences in the game. Yep. Um, and when you put down this, I was the sticker dude, Curtis. Mm-hmm. I was tasked with the responsibility to put the stickers down as Whoa. things happened. And putting down the sticker for a riot, which tells me that this city can never have a research station on it for the rest of the time what? we play this game. You like, I feel bad about it. I feel bad putting that sticker down. And that's really cool because it's a simple action that you could do anytime. But because of that lasting effect, it adds so much to the gameplay. Sounds cool. I think this game, and we only scratched the surface, like Nick said. I think this game totally deserves all of the hype that it's. I just want to tear open secret dossiers. I know. Oh, they look so cool. So fun. I propose next on the top twenty list. Yes, Marcus. I propose we play. I think we should play Terra Mystica. We should all three of us do it. I've never played it. it. I'd be happy to. Yeah. Have you guys ever played Twilight Struggle? Many times. I've never played it. Really? Is it the best game in the world? Like everybody says. It's. It's good. It's good. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's Pandemic Legacy in yeah. our board game corner. Cool. Uh, Bre- breathing fresh life into Pandemic. Absolutely. I was, I was so excited by it. I, I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it was really Car- cool. Yeah, there's so many games. That I'm just like, my, my the brains have been turning since we played. It's like, what games do I want a pan- uh, legacy system on? Yeah. And there's so many that it would work really, really well with. Schnoise. Board games. All right. Board game live-in. Well, nice board game quarter, you dudes. They got me psyched to play a board game yeah and that's gonna do it for us today our producer and editor is rachel polk our music was created by a bomb our art design was created by philip wong special thanks to the ann arbor district library for the use of their podcast recording studio please subscribe to super skull on itunes and leave us a review and if you haven't heard uh please leave us a review because we like reviews and they help us out i read some on the toilet today did some <laughs> you read some reviews of our podcast on the toilet I did. Did we get some on new the toilet What's that? We get some new ones? No. Oh, good. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and our website. Super Skull Show is our handle. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Night Train Weinbar. I am Mark Diamond Schwimmer. And I am Curtis Mr. Roper Sullivan. And we wish you good reading. Until next week.
Fucking Cannonball it. Cannonball! <laughs> Isn't there a supervillain named Cannonball? There is. He's a Marvel supervillain? He's a DC character. He's Rob Liefeld. He's got the fire legs. Oh, right! And that's because Rob Liefeld didn't want to draw legs at all, so he just draws fire on that guy. And he talks like a country dude. He does a really bad... You know how, like, when you hear Gambit talking, it's like a really bad Creole? Oh, yeah. Cannonball has, like, a really bad... I don't know what like, you're talking about, Cherie. Mon cher? <laughs> Mon cher? Yeah. Mon frere? <laughs>